from WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. On the show today, for many formerly incarcerated individuals across the country, getting released from prison is only half the battle. Today, NPR's Ari Shapiro speaks with two Louisianans fighting for financial compensation for their years spent behind bars. But first... Last month, Disney Plus premiered National Treasure Edge of History. This TV show brings the National Treasure story back to life after a 15-year hiatus and was written and produced by the same team behind the original franchise. But unlike the original two movies, this series was filmed and takes place in Baton Rouge. For more on this new TV series, we're joined by the husband and wife screenwriting duo behind it, Cormac and Marianne Wilberly, thank you both for joining us. Wow, thank you you for having us. Uh, The first two National Treasure movies, tremendously successful. Then we go 15 years without another one. And then you guys come back, not with another movie, but a TV show. So why did you decide to kind of rebirth the world of National Treasure and to do it in a TV show rather than another film? Well, we've been trying to get another film. I mean, this is like, we didn't just, ha- just people are always like, why now? But it's like, we've been trying for a long time. We've been trying to, you know, pitch a show or or a third movie, uh, wh- whatever we could do. And and then Disney Plus happened. Um, and they and suddenly they needed, they wanted the content for the show. So that's, we just veered into that. So that's timing, timing is everything. Timing was perfect yeah. and the opportunity was there. Now I mentioned that it's, the series takes place in Baton Rouge. How did you settle on Louisiana's capital as your location? What was the draw there? Uh, well, it's just mentioned in so many songs. And we we wanted our, our characters to come from uh, someplace in the South. And we just wanted them to be from a place that has a lot of history. So uh, we decided we basically went, let's just go to Baton Rouge. We had shot in New Orleans 10 years earlier. And, and not to say they don't have a ton of history. They have a ton of history too. So, but Baton Rouge just felt to us like a good small town that everyone's heard of um, and not sure that everyone's been there. Uh, so how was Baton Rouge represented in the show? And did you unearth any chapters in Baton Rouge's history that you're able maybe to incorporate into this new series? Baton Rouge plays Baton Rouge, so it wasn't. They have this uh, fantastic studio there, and a lot of a lot of people shoot out there, but they don't use Baton Rouge as Baton Rouge. And we were we were fortunate enough to, to have that city. They, they just opened their arms for us, and we used probably every location in downtown Baton Rouge. So you you'll walk around the you can walk around the town, and you can see all the exterior to uh, the apartment Jess's apartment. The bar that they go to and and the governor's mansion. And, you know, here's the, the governor's mansion. the Masonic Lodge because it's just such an interesting building, um, and it's uh, and they have a Masonic Lodge. So yeah, they, yeah, they did. And they had so they had everything. Um, but I would say the Mississippi River also plays the history. If you were asking about the city's history, we we do. I don't want us to have any spoilers, but the we do. You know, there is so we wanted to do a, a story about the South. The people, the the conquistadors, and you know, because we've done the story of the North with the founding fathers and the people who came on the, the Pilgrims' boats and all that. So we really wanted to do what what happened when the conquistadors came and 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 that history. And and so Baton Rouge does have the French and the Spanish and all that. So um, that's the sort of the history that we mine. So so Baton Rouge's history is kind of intertwined in a way. And you mentioned several of the the places that 
uh, Baton Rouges will recognize as they watch the series. We are speaking with Cormac and Marianne Wilberly, screenwriters behind the new TV series, National Treasure, Edge of History. And we've talked about the location. Let's get into the plot. And you touched on it a little bit, Marianne, without giving too much away. Tell us a bit about the main characters, the overall story in this series. Well, you know, we wanted to do uh, a, a character that was like Ben Gates, pass the baton to her for the show. Ben Gates still exists in this world, and so does Riley Poole, um, who is in one of the episodes. But this is a, you know, a new a new treasure hunter and her her friends. Because we have to do 10 episodes. Carmack's always like, it's 10 little movies, you know. We have to do, you know, a caper and, you know, practically every episode. We have to have clue twists and and things like that. So um, so this group helped us with these five characters. It helped us um, fill 10 hours with interesting, you know, relationships and, and of course, clues and all that. Um, but she's a, she's a, she's a dreamer. Um, she's, you know, a young woman trying to find her place in the world. That's why we like the title Edge of History, because it's, it's not just about the treasure, but it's about these kids not kids because they're grownups. These, they just feel like kids to us because we're so old. <laughs> um, they, they, they're trying to find their place in the world, right? So that just felt like she's, she gets, you know, this clue kind of falls in her lap and it turns out to be something without giving anything away that, um, that sends her and her, her friends on this journey. All right. Well, give us a little deeper. Marianne, the, for those that haven't seen, it's already started, but main characters, the actors and actresses who play them, and um, a little background on, you mentioned the the, uh, the the immigrant story. Could you get a little further into that? Jess is, um, uh, she came over here with her mom when she was a baby. So she's a, she's a DACA kid. Um, she doesn't have um, citizenship. She's, she feels like she's fully American because she grew up here, but she doesn't have any of the papers. So um, it adds an extra level of danger to the treasure hunt because, you know, if she commits a crime, she can be deported. So she's never intended on being in this world and potentially committing crimes to steal the Declaration of Independence, you know, type of story, because she wants to just be a citizen. She fully loves America. And um, so that's just that's played by Lisette Oliveira. She worked so hard and just was is so talented. And we can't say enough about about her. She's funny. She's uh, she cries. She makes you cry. She she's great. So that's that's our lead. That's Jess. Balenciaga. And of course, the, her, her main nemesis, Catherine Zeta-Jones, we have to mention, a big name there that you were able to grab for this. Oh my gosh, we were so lucky to get her. We pitched our hearts out to get her to do this show. And she came, she was so fortunate that she agreed um, to do it. And she is the most lovely person that you could, and she's, here she is, she comes on set, she's royalty, right? She's Oscar, she's just Hollywood royalty. And she crashes the set for a scene that she's not even in when she arrives to meet all, everybody. And she couldn't have been more like normal. It, it was it was so, so, so refreshing. And she's, of course, amazingly talented. She makes every word that is written on the page a thousand times better <laughs> because it's her. Well, what was it like for you, for you guys, uh, Cormac? We'll let you grab this one to return to this <laughs> universe of national treasure 15 years later. I know you wanted to, to still feel familiar but there's plenty about about it that's completely different. Absolutely, completely different. It's it's even though it's in the same universe, it's uh, like we were saying. Ben Gates is his family probably stepped off the Mayflower, and uh, Jess is just brand new to this country. And um, 
she's sort of like uh, the Peter Parker to him being Tony Stark. It's like yeah, his world is high rise or whatever. And her world is she works in a you store it and uh, she's just she's just grinding and, and trying to get by. Um, so we were really interested in that. I mean, I, I was interested because my dad was never an American citizen. He came from Ireland and to to know you know what it felt like i was american and he wasn't and what it means to be american he and he ended up writing a bunch of history books about america he loved it so much so um that's we were kind of approaching it from someone that came to this country and says wow this is such a great country i need to be part of it and then find out her own history she sort of does what we call a 23 and me on her she doesn't really know where she comes from and then she figures it all out through the, the 10 hours. The treasure helps her. The treasure hunt is, is also a hunt of her identity. Well, guys, what do you want someone who watches the show and to 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 get out of it? We want them to be entertained. <laughs> and Number one, always, entertain. <laughs> yes. The, we always say that the national treasures have uh, what we call edutainment, which is educational entertainment. So we like the clues to be something that makes a person watch the show and they go, oh, I got to look that person up because I didn't know that person existed. Well, let me go Google that person and see or that clue. Is that for real? Did that really happen? We tried to tie, you know, iconic things into the show and give people some little tidbits of things that they didn't know, um, you know, and tie in Sacagawea and all these d different characters. So when we wrote the the first movie, Marianne and I had to just go to the library and, and look through books. And by the, <laughs> by the second movie, we had Google a little bit. And this movie, we have like the Smithsonian helping us. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. so it's like, I mean, these these clues have been vetted. Uh, every everything in it is has been you know blessed by all the academics. Uh, you know, in the movie, we we put was lemon juice on the Declaration of Independence and. The academics got very upset about that. <laughs> so, we won't do that again, we academics. That. We love what you. are you doing with the lemon juice? What we got to be able to and, see what it says with the secret writing. We needed the lemon juice, right? but we right. needed it. Right. It's our decoder. Of course, we need that. <laughs> that and a little heat, but not you know. But I love it. It's edu edutainment. Is it's yes. a, that combination? You said yes. We want you to be entertained, but you're going to come away with with maybe a little knowledge. You're going to learn something maybe that you didn't already know and you guys probably saw our cast walking around baton rouge everywhere hey that's what i wanted to ask before i let you guys go what was it like interacting with baton rougeans we were everywhere we we, we stayed right there right on the mississippi it's, it's the beautiful. most beautiful thing in them that river has such personality it's like oh today it doesn't want to be beautiful it wants to be muddy oh look at it now but money's um, pretty too so you know, but industrial sense it's amazing but we would walk around town and we would see our cast all out to dinner. All or, sitting, in Mathern's. All, uh, or in Mathern's. Or in Mathern shopping. Grocery <laughs> shopping. Constantly we would run in. <laughs> out at Mathern's. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's how you say we, we only went there for six months. We're going to learn how to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a lot of fun. And, and of course, um, the 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 story continues and I, we, this is this is, is will there be more? Do you yeah, I guess you wait and see? Or yeah, we wait and see. You, you wait and see. Yeah, well, we don't know what, what anything yet. We, we're hopeful, fingers crossed. Well, we it's it's enough. been it's been great talking with you guys, Cormac and Marianne Wilberly, screenwriters behind the new TV series National Treasure: Edge of History. 
Thank you both for joining us on Louisiana Considered. Thank you, Karen. My grandma and your grandma were sitting by the fire. From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. Thousands of incarcerated people in the U.S. have fought to prove their innocence and won. But in some cases, the fight to get released from prison marks the start of another fight, the push for financial compensation for the years spent behind bars. NPR's Ari Shapiro brings us the story of two Louisianans trying to rebuild their lives after exonerations. Malcolm Alexander and Frederick Clay both spent nearly 38 years in prison for crimes they didn't commit. Both were ultimately exonerated and released. But that's where their stories diverge. Fred got a million dollars from the state of Massachusetts for his wrongful conviction. In Louisiana, Malcolm is still fighting for compensation. When we got the two of them on the line together, I asked how it felt to meet a stranger who's been in their shoes. Well, I would say this out of Fred. You know, in the process that we both have just went through, our deal in our life, it, to me, you know, it was like standing in front of a loaded gun, you know, and being told that they give me everything you have. And after you cooperate in every possible way, you still became that fatal victim. Mm. And this is what I would say that me and Fred and many others have experienced. You're saying that's what the justice system felt like to you? Exactly. Fred, do you relate to that that metaphor? Yes, I do. Because the justice system, in my experience, doesn't really care about people being innocent. They only care about getting convictions and patent a resume. Let's talk about the financial compensation aspect of this. I mean, money can't make up for the decades that you spent incarcerated. Fred, what can money do? What can the compensation achieve for you? Well, it it can achieve a little bit more stability. It can give people a little bit more independence. Whether people want to get into a apartment or buy a car or get education, you know, they can spend some of that money on education. It, it gives people a little bit more uh, flexibility to do what they want to do on their own. Malcolm, I understand you live with your wife and the dog that you raised behind bars named In, short for Innocence. If you do get this financial compensation, apart from the necessities that this could help pay for, is there any luxury, just some small thing for pleasure that you would use that money for, for yourself, for them? Well, the thing is, I have been working since I've been out. And my wife, she was work as well. And my dog, you know, we had recently brought her to get a... Uh, her technic shot. And right now, you know, I'm really putting a few dollars on the side again to bring her, because I want to get a room. 
I need to get her toenails, uh, at least uh, her paws cut. And I I built a doghouse, and I must have didn't build it too sturdy because uh, we just had that storm up there, Ina, and it blew the doghouse so that, uh, apart. And I said, wow. Well, if it makes <laughs> you feel better, that storm blew some proper houses down too, so I'm not sure it's <laughs> any comment on your carpentry. <laughs> So I was sitting going out and really trying to uh, get me some bricks and, you know, and actually build her a brick doghouse. So if you do win this case, Inn is going to be much better off for it. A trip to the groomer, a new house, Inn's going to be living the good life. Yes, sir. <laughs> Fred, was there something after you got that compensation from the state that you treated yourself to? Yes, I treated myself to jumping out of the plane. Oh my, you went skydiving? Yes. Seriously? I did that twice. Twice? Wow. That is not what I expected you to say. So when I got the money, I treated myself to skydiving. I think I would pay to not do that. <laughs> was it Was it worth it? Yes, it was. Why was that the thing you chose? There's a couple of reasons. It made me feel like I was totally free. And also when I was in prison, and I was talking to some guys. We watched things on WGBH Channel 2 about skydiving. They said they wanted to do that. I said I wanted to do that. So it, it was because it, some of these people that I talked to are no longer living now. They passed away. Hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm doing this for such and such a person. I'm doing this for me. But Wow. The second time I did it, it was more for me. Jump out of a plane, 10,000 feet in the air. It made me actually feel like I was truly free. Hmm. Fred, I can relate to that because I wanted to go bungee jumping. <laughs> go you on. I want to do that too. <laughs> I haven't done that yet, but I want to do that too. I think you guys should go together. <laughs> that would be nice. But I definitely I didn't want skydive, but I actually wanted to go bungee jumping and I wanted to go over to the Grand Canyon where you can walk out on that glass flow and look down at the Grand Canyon. And like yeah. I say, it's a feeling of totally freedom, like floating. Yes. Mm. I can relate to that, you know. I also did hang gliding too. What? That's nice. Wow. And it gave me, it, it made me feel like I had a, a bird's eye view of the world looking down and it, it made me feel free. Hmm. Totally free. You guys are braver than I am. <laughs> well, you've both overcome an enormous hurdle, which is proving your innocence and getting released from prison, setting apart setting aside the compensation question. If there are people listening who are still incarcerated and still working on achieving that step, what advice do you have for them? Mine would be to never give up. I mean, what, what it is to give up on, you know, you give, because you got to understand, you didn't do it. And you have family members who believe in the fact that you didn't do it. You have friends who believe in it. You have a community that who believes in it. It's just that the justice system is, like you say, it just doesn't work all the time properly, you know, and, and innocent, you being innocent proves that. But 
the thing is, if you give up, you got to realize it's not you just giving up on yourself, you're giving up on your family. Because mm-hmm. like I said, you're, you're not the only one that's incarcerated. They have incarcerated your family. So, you know, you fight, you fight, you fight not just for you, you fight for your family, you fight to get back with your loved one. Yeah. You know, you fight to show that, no, you is wrong. Fred, what do you think of that? I agree with what he said. Never give up. Uh, when you do give up, not only you letting yourself down, you're letting your family down. But I would also add to the situations that not only the perpetrator, me or you or, or gentlemen I'm talking to now or anybody else, not only what we lied on, the victim family was lied to also i will also say that because i have a relationship with the victim family right now his brother i met with him and his wife like three or four times already went out you know went out to dinner even went to uh, a retreat with them but i will also say that the victim family needs to have a little bit more input because the victim families is, from my point of view, from my experience, the victim family can only make the district attorney accountable. Mm-hmm. I cannot make them accountable. You know, I asked at the beginning of this conversation whether there was anything you wanted to say to each other. You really didn't know each other at all at that point. Now that you've gotten a chance to get to know each other and chat a little bit, is there any parting thought you want to share with one another? Well, I would say... I'm glad Fred made it. I'm glad he has gotten the chance to do the things that he wanted to do and even more to come. And uh, he proved to me to be me, you know, in the sense of saying, you know, regardless of how many years I may have done or how long I may was there, I never gave up hope. I never stopped fighting, you know. And so to that, you know, uh, applauding. Hmm. I'm glad you're home, man. Hmm. Fred? I'm glad you're home, too. And I want to applaud you, even though we had setbacks, you know, uh, pursuing our litigations and trying to, you know, uh, do what we need to do to prove our innocence. I'm glad that you had due diligence. I'm glad that you didn't give up. You might probably got discouraged just like I did. I got discouraged at different times, but I'm glad that once we get past our disappointments, we still stuck to maintain our innocence and continue to fight. Frederick Clay in Massachusetts and Malcolm Alexander in Louisiana, both men were wrongfully convicted and spent decades in prison before being exonerated. Thank you both so much for talking with us. Thank you. Thank you. And after we finished the interview, the two men exchanged phone numbers to follow up on that bungee jumping plan. From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. Thanks to our guests, 
screenwriters Cormac and Marianne Wiberly, and special thanks to NPR host and reporter Ari Shapiro. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our digital editor is Caitlin Omholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman and Aubrey Procell. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from the historic New Orleans Collection.